0: Can we say facts? Big facts. (laughs) Hello, folks, and welcome to Brown and Out, the podcast where we give voice to LGBTQ people of color in Vermont. And today, oh yes, today we're talking to Eric Faulkner. How's it going, Eric?
1: I'm doing well today. Thank you very much for inviting me to share this experience with you.
0: Oh my gosh. Oh, thank you for sharing this experience with me. You were just... We were just saying how we've been talking about this for a while now. You truly um, got in on the ground level at this whole Brown and out thing. I don't think you were... Um, your schedule, perhaps, didn't allow you to, like, drop an episode the first season. But here we are now, and it's all so real. And I'm so excited that we're chatting today. Um So... Straight off the bat Right off the top Straight from the dome Um, What are None of those I made all of those up Um, What are a few things That we should know About Eric Faulkner
1: Well I'll start off by saying I am originally from a city called Peoria, Illinois That's one thing I would like people to know about me I'm very proud of where I'm from
0: Okay Shout out Peoria.
1: Yes, yes, yes. Shout out to my P-Town.
0: Okay, P-Town. That's what they call it?
1: That's one of our nicknames.
0: Yes. (laughs) What are some others?
1: One other popular nickname we have in our city is River City because we are on the river of Illinois. And so uh, we naturally have that nickname. That is natural. Uh, I don't know too much of the historical context behind it, but it's a nickname that we've carried for a very long time. Okay. Well...
0: We might have to do some Peoria research and figure out how that exactly came to be.
1: Definitely. Going <laughs> going um, back to your question, though, I would also like people to know I'm here in Burlington, Vermont, because of my job at the University of Vermont. Oh, OK. I live here with my two lovely daughters, my dogs. Oh, <laughs> yes. Their names are Diamond and Princess, and I like to tell everybody I'm a single parent of two lovely beautiful young ladies because that's true it is very very hard work to take care of two dogs single-handedly
0: very hard let's expound on that some because i know that you're a proud parent of diamond princess they have been to my home before and they are lovely guests (laughs) um truly Um, i was happy to host them um yeah but Tell us more about them how yeah, what is it like? Um, You live on campus, right? Yes So that is like kind of rare and special that you get to have pets, isn't it?
1: Yes, so (laughs) as a part of my job as a hall director, I do various things You know, I supervise the RAs in the building. I have meetings with students when they get in trouble I help out with the events that are going on in the hall and I do various other things and my role requires that I live in the building And the policy at UVM is that staff members who live on campus in the residential halls are allowed to have one pet. I, however, have two because they are both my emotional support animals for a documented condition that I have. Are there other
0: things that folks should know about you, Eric? That's such a hard question to you, answer. Well, I'll make a note that you brought notes. Yes, I um, brought notes. I'm so interested in the world of note-taking and list-making. I really am. Um, I'm not like amazing at it myself yet, but I just need folks to know that Eric brought notes. I think this is the first time a Brown and Out guest has brought their own notes. I'm supposed to be the note person, but this is awesome.
1: This is so that... You
0: stay on topic, right?
1: Yes. Well, I I, I listened to everything in season one. I I listened to each podcast. Great. And thinking about something special that I wanted to bring to this experience is that I wanted to really humanize and personalize this podcast. And I wanted to be very intimate and connect with the audience that is listening. And so I came up with a list of some things that will help me stay on track with you know, making sure that making sure that I share what it is that I would like to share about myself and my story. That is the point. That's a hundred thousand percent
0: the point. Um, wow. Okay. So, uh, what you got
1: on the notes there? The first thing that I have on my list is growing up biracial. I oh am yeah, yeah. I wanted biracial. I wanted
0: to talk to you about that. What I wanted to. Um, Mention is that more than once when I've hung out with you, folks have
1: asked if you are Latin. So I speak Spanish fluently, and that confuses a lot of people because of my appearance. Um, so given that uh, my father is black and my mom is white, I have a very Caribbean, Puerto Rican, Dominican, Cuban sort of look. And, and then when you speak Spanish... When I speak Spanish, people really think <laughs> that I'm from one of those places, and so they get even more confused.
0: Uh-huh. And for you, what does a biracial identity entail? What's your personal
1: experience as a biracial person? I have spent my whole life... Being half black, half white, and so I spent my childhood growing up seeing significant differences in how people in my black family lived versus people in my white family, Mm -hmm. and comparing a lot of the different environments that I would be in, a lot of the different types of family that I would be around, the different types of personalities, also seeing the different types of lifestyles that they were living. It was very clear to me that there was a huge difference between black people and white people.
0: You noticed a disparity from a young age Yes. from just members of your close immediate family.
1: Yes, I noticed various differences in terms of the way people spoke, the way people Mm. dressed, Mm -hmm. the way people communicated, the way people communicated with me. I noticed differences in sort of the financial piece behind people's lives and, and what their, their homes looked like and mm-hmm. the different resources that were available to them, their access to health care, for example, I noticed a lot of differences, access to education beyond K through 12, lots of differences.
0: And you notice the differences starkly along racial lines, you would say?
1: Yes, I noticed as a child that my black family did not go to college like my white family. I noticed that they did not have the same opportunities or they had the same opportunities. However, they came from a different environment in which several environmental social factors contributed to them not going to college Mm. versus my white family that didn't experience those same challenges um, so thinking about for example, being black and dealing with racism, mm-hmm. dealing with being denied certain opportunities for jobs due to skin color right. or due to the way my black family spoke or or different uhhuh pieces of the cultural difference yeah just cultural if you want to say so, that so thinking for example of how in my black family a lot of us we speak at a louder volume, hmm. and we tend to get a lot more animated when we speak and going into a job interview not having that part of myself accepted going know, into a job interview where we assume the hirer
0: that the person who will be employing you is white right
1: Yes, that 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 happened to be my experience in, in the majority of the jobs that I held, but thinking along the lines of myself and my family, you know, we walk into the job interviews, we all we want to be our th- ourselves authentically, but mm-hmm. unfortunately, there's a culture, a bigger culture that we're a part of. and there are certain expectations in that culture for how people should speak and behave and dress and how their hair should be. And it is and it's white, a, right? It's a whole nother conversation to get into. Oh, uh, are you but, talking about hair? No, just thinking about all these different aspects of, of a person and what they bring to the table and how they show up in a space in a job interview. And so going back to the original question of some of the disparities and differences between being black and being white at the same time, I would notice that my white family, you know, my uncles and aunts went to college and they make pretty good money. Nowadays, but a lot of my aunts and uncles on my black side, they did not go to college and they don't have jobs that pay as nice. Right. So, yeah, that's that's one one part of it. That's major. That's
0: huge. Um, That has to shape who you are as an adult
1: today, right? Well, certainly. I remember things growing up as a child, my mom getting pulled over by the police for speeding and getting a warning. But once my dad would get pulled over for speeding, I remember a time when they arrested him or they pulled us out of the car and were asking him questions. I was such a young child that I don't remember if they actually took him to jail. But I say arrested in the sense that I was a young child with one of my siblings in a car. We got pulled over. And after having seen a white mother you know, just receive a warning and be able to drive by, drive away. The experience was very different having a black father in the car and him having to get out of the car, him having to show his identification, him having to, you know, step away from the car. It probably felt like an arrest. It probably felt like, you know, even if he wasn't, that it seemed like he was getting arrested. I remember he had a really nice Mercedes in the early 90s, and when he got that Mercedes... He went from being pulled over every so often to being pulled over multiple times a week.
0: What is that about?
1: Growing up in Peoria, I would have to say that there's a difference between seeing a white person drive a really nice car and seeing a black person drive a really nice car.
0: Hmm. What's the difference?
1: There's a difference in... How those two drivers are perceived. And in the early 90s, you know, we've made substantial progress since, but in the early 90s, to see my father drive around in a really nice car was something that police officers wouldn't expect and wouldn't think would be real and legal and lawful.
0: Right. I don't know how far we've come as far as that goes, but yeah. Yep. I hear you. I hear what you're saying. We spoke about um, cultural differences and about. Um, entering a workforce and sometimes a white workforce and how we're forced to change ourselves and do you know that there are laws in this country about how black people can keep their hair at certain jobs and in the Mm army services
1: yes I think just within the past year or so I saw this article on Facebook that said the Supreme Court upheld a certain decision from a lower court Stating that it is legal to forbid black people or any people at all from wearing dreadlocks at work. And I didn't dig into that article because the racism behind it was so disgusting to me that I can't stomach reading all of these articles, every single one of them. I cannot stomach watching all of these police brutality videos that are passing around on social media. You know, it's just... It's so one of the things that's just too much.
0: That is really strange, this phenomenon of people basically, like, on your Facebook timeline, that video is just going to automatically play once you scroll it. It's a really mm-hmm. strange time that we live in where murders of black people are being, like, televised so routinely. It's very strange. It's very odd.
1: Um... And it's not new. No it's none of this shit is new. No none of it is new. It's not It's not new. But it's been happening.
0: The I think the frequency with which everyone is being forced to confront it is new. And I think we don't yet know what effect it is having or is going to have in the future. I I hope by people being forced to, I guess, like I mean you say that, like, you hate it, I hate it too, I don't, you know what I mean, seek it out, but it's impossible to ignore sometimes, right? Um, hopefully, it'll be a catalyst for some positive change and force people to examine what's really going on.
1: As I was in the process of of trying to conceptualize what do I want listeners to gain from listening to my story, I thought... These are the things that I want to talk about. And these are the things that I want people to hear because I want young people and, you know, especially children out there to Mm -hmm. know that they're not alone. And I want them to know that some of the experiences they're going through are things that I went through Mm -hmm. or similarly. Yeah. And so that's why I'm speaking out. And my next thing on the list is growing up gay. Oh, okay. Let's let's get right into it. (laughs) I... Pretty much my whole life growing up, I knew I was curious about guys, Mm -hmm. but I didn't have a name for it. I didn't know exactly what to say about myself or to identify as gay. Mm -hmm. So it started at a very young age, probably around age five in kindergarten. I remember remember playing house with boys and girls in Mm -hmm. school. And outside of school with neighbors. And I remember having kissed boys and girls at a very young age and not really understanding what kissing was or why people did it. But when we played house, two people kiss. And so that's what you do when you play house. It's usually like
0: a mommy, daddy role, stuff like that, right?
1: Very, very traditional in that way. So I remember growing up in school, I was teased and called gay. And I was bullied for, I guess, appearing to be gay, but I never really knew or understood that about myself even. So for me, I kept rejecting it because what was coming with it was such a negative experience from my social and environmental factors, um, mainly people. You were being bullied? Yeah. About your perceived sexuality? Yes, and I knew... I knew as a child that I wasn't interested in actually dating or having a relationship with anyone. So I I couldn't feel fully comfortable with being a gay child because I I didn't, I didn't entirely want to go be with a man at that age. I was just very confused. I didn't know what was going on inside me. So I went through school getting bullied and I grew thick skin in high school and I wasn't getting bullied very much in high school. It was mainly middle school. And by the time I got to high school, I knew that I was gay, and I was hiding it, and Mm. I was suppressing it, and I was, I was trying to deny it from the people around me, Mm. and trying to deny it from myself. And so I made a couple friends. Senior year, that happened to be openly gay or on the down low gay. Right. I made some friends in each area, and. I decided to be a better person and to try to be more accepting of people who are different different than me mm. um, because I didn't consider myself fully gay. Um, I just considered myself curious, and I still had crushes on girls in high school. So I always thought, hey, maybe this isn't real. Maybe, maybe it's a phase. Maybe it'll go away. That's what some people will tell me. Um, so I started to internalize that. Mm. But going back to what I was saying, I made some friends. Started hanging out with them and they called me their straight friend but i think they knew <laughs> <laughs> i think they knew we all clicked so well um and there was one of them who was somebody i almost in a way developed a crush on mm-hmm. and so like that's when i realized senior year okay i definitely like guys
0: senior year, high school yes yeah.
1: And so I started telling a few friends that we're supposed to keep it a secret, and then one motherfucker outed me. Oh, and
0: it's always that one. I told it's always that I one. swear I
1: told her something early, like a Monday morning when we started the school week, because I had written this poem in my Spanish class mm-hmm. about this guy. Oh, hmm And it was this nice love poem, and no one could figure out who she was, because I wouldn't tell anyone who she was. (laughs) And so I finally told this friend one morning when we came to school that the poem was about um, a dude. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And she was supposed to keep it secret, but then later that week, I was... At home one evening watching TV, laying in my bed, and I get this text message from somebody else like, you need to watch your back because so-and-so is going around telling people you're gay. And like, uh, my heart automatically... Messy, messy, instantly, messy. Instantly. Yes. My heart instantly and, and automatically just sunk to the bottom of my stomach. I can
0: imagine. Yeah.
1: So I went through that experience of being outed in high school, and no one really bullied me or anything about it or talked about me afterwards, which was different than most people's experiences. And I think one of the reasons why was because I never actually talked to anybody or was involved with anybody in high school. I stayed romantically. You mean and sexually, I stayed. I stayed a virgin. Mm -hmm. Uh, I just wasn't ready in high school and I didn't want my experience to be some dumb high school hookup. I wanted to wait till I was an adult who was ready and felt like they were going to have an experience that would be meaningful. And so I didn't really have any business for anybody to be talking about, Mm -hmm. you know. And so that's what it was like growing up in school, gay, now inside my house and my family. I think my family knew, but we never talked about it. And my family, to this day, they've always accepted me for who I am.
0: Well, that's really Um, good.
1: You're really fortunate. Yeah, I'm very lucky i never officially came out to them they just kind of figured it out around the time i was 18 19 Mm -hmm. my first couple years in college i had this hickey from some guy i made out with oh (laughs) and my mom again the family was asking who she was and why she wasn't you know with us at the family functions and stuff because it was around christmas time or something
0: so how did you reply
1: I told Which, them that she? I told them it wasn't their business and I wasn't going to talk about her. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so okay. one day my mom was doing my hair because she does hair for a living. She always has since before I was born. And she was doing my hair one day and she just straight up asked me if the hickey was from a guy since I won't talk about mm. it being from a girl. Um, and I told her yes. She shared that information with my dad. And at some point in time, I'm pretty sure the information was shared with my siblings. I have three brothers zero sisters. And I'm just, number one, I'm grateful that they never disowned me or. Yeah. Kicked me to the curb, so to speak.
0: It's a, but it is a shame that that is so common that
1: that's Mm -hmm. like a possibility in your mind. You saw that as like an option. Yeah. So that's one of the reasons why I hid it from them for so many years, because I felt like, okay, so what if I am this thing that I think I might be, And that I know so many people around the world reject and that I could be killed for or I could be discriminated on in a number of ways for. And so. I remember an experience when I was seven years old, my dad saw me holding hands with another boy and he gave me a whooping for it. Oh. And I think since a very young age, I really internalized that and and thought that if I was gay, I would be punished, you know, physically. Well, that's traumatic. In in some way. It was a traumatic experience for a seven-year-old to have. And it still sticks with me to this day. Um, My dad and I have talked about it. That's good. Kind of worked through it um, a couple years ago. But I don't know if he really gets it when Mm -hmm. I talk about the harm that I experienced in that experience. He may never get it. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, that's kind of what it's like to grow up gay, to feel confused, alone, isolated, trying to hide it from people, trying to deny it, trying to stop it. This was your experience. Yes, this was mine. Yeah. But,
0: cut to, I feel like you're a proud man. I feel like you're, you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, Living
0: your best life,
1: if I may? Like, is that okay? Can I say that? I'm living my best life. Yeah. I'm living the best life I can right now. You
0: have to. And you know that. And that just, I think, is pretty inspiring where you've come from just personally. You know what I mean? Just like internally the journey you've made. Your internal journey. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I really want to know. What else? What's, what's next on that list? <laughs> <laughs>
1: I talk about college and grad school as the next option on my list. And so gr- Did growing up. Do you just up- want to
0: talk about um, like moving on from high school, which was still in Peoria? Yes. And then um, going to college, which was where?
1: It was at Illinois State. Which is in a town called Normal, Illinois, which normal? is normal? Yes, normal. And it's forty five minutes away from my hometown, Peoria. Mm. South of Peoria ish.
0: Peoria's pretty close to normal, you could say. Yes. <laughs> um Yeah, so what was your uh college experience like in Normal?
1: Before I go into what the college experience was, I have to give credit to the TRIO Upward Bound program that I was a student in throughout high school. It is a student support services program for high school students who desire to go to college. And so the program looks different all around the country, wherever it exists. And in the particular program that I was in, it was housed through the community college at home. In Peoria. And they would take us on trips in the summer. They would do a summer enrichment academy with us. Basically, um, a type of summer school where we would go and take classes to kind of get refreshers or to get ahead of the upcoming school year's coursework.
0: Lovely. And this is why you're so smart.
1: Part of the reason why why I'm such a hard worker. (laughs) So this program really introduced me to a lot of people, colleges and universities oh, and great. historical sites around the country. And so it really was what got me to college. But as I graduated high school, I wasn't completely ready to move away from home. Mm-hmm. So I stuck around at the community college for two years to get my associate's degree first. Okay. And then I transferred to Illinois State in Normal, which oh, okay. is Peoria so close to normal, <laughs> as you said. <laughs> okay. And I went to college, and I was involved in some different student groups that were groups such as the Spanish Club, because I was a Spanish major. And I wanted to do things that were going to enhance my major. Right. And...
0: What was Spanish club like?
1: (laughs) It was fun. We Uh had conversation hour. We had dance events. We had salsa classes. We had, uh, they did field trips. I don't think I ever went on any of the field trips, though. Um, They did community service for the community uh, on campus and the surrounding community. And they gave out awards, too there were just different things going on it was really fun a memory i'll never forget Mm -hmm. and so in college i had my first boyfriend-like experience
0: you say that as if um, you're hesitant to use the term boyfriend is that true
1: Yes, I am hesitant to use the term boyfriend because
0: you said earlier that you're just not really interested in like that type of relationship, right? Yeah. And would you would you describe was, yourself as aromantic or is that too much of a stretch? Or is that not applicable?
1: I've gone through periods of my life where I've identified as aromantic simply because at those moments in my life I didn't want any type of relationship or to be with anyone and At times, I do feel as if I don't want a relationship for my life and for my future. Mm -hmm. Because there's so much work that comes with it. And honestly, I think about getting married and a lot of the sacrifices I would have to make. And it's just a really huge commitment that I know I'm not ready for. I'm 28 years old, and I'm still not ready to take that step with someone
0: you know, age is just a social I, construct.
1: But I want to take my time. Absolutely. I want to get to know myself. I want to continue exploring how I love myself in this world and how I how I can be happy being me because I don't need someone else to be happy. That is true.
0: I only mentioned age being a social construct because mm-hmm. you mentioned being 28 and I'm 30. And... Um, And I'm just not sure how I feel about that. So that was more... I was, like, projecting. Honestly, I was projecting. Um,
1: I guess I could um, tell you a little more about what college was like. Yeah, if you like,
0: if that's something you're interested in talking about.
1: I basically lived my college experiences out. I never hid from anyone at Mm -hmm. all that I was gay. Everyone knew I was gay in college. Mm -hmm. And... Now, in 2018, which at that time was, I graduated in 2012, so between 2008 and 2012. I was grateful that a lot of my pioneers did a lot of the work to get me such a comfortable and privileged lifestyle in college to where I didn't have to experience too much discrimination for being gay. Not not like that overt what do you call it, that out there prejudice, you know, when people confront you and call you names and insult you or threaten you or, you know, perhaps assault you physically. I didn't have to experience those kinds of things in college. But I was also the only dude in the class or the only person of color in the class or the only man of color in the class or the only man of color who was gay... Mm. Or, you know, I couldn't judge every person and say what they were or what they weren't. But being someone openly involved in the pride group as well, that was another group I was involved in. I would go to my classroom, um, the different classrooms, and other pride members were not there. So I would feel alone as the only gay person in the room as well, even though that may not have been the truth. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of time with friends Just hanging out, having fun um, But I also committed to my studies And I got a pretty good GPA um, Got myself into graduate school In higher education and administration Which is the work that I do at UVM As I mentioned, I work as a hall director And so I'm an administrator And that's what my graduate degree is in And while I was in graduate school, I went through one of the toughest experiences in my life because I had always struggled with different things emotionally and mentally throughout my life, and I didn't realize that I wasn't mentally prepared for what I was going to experience. And so graduate school really broke me down in a lot of ways. And my mental health spiraled into a lot of different patterns that I have had going on and patterns that got bigger and worse um, that I had been experiencing since I was a child, and
0: this sort of reached like a culmination kind of like a
1: yeah, yeah graduate school was probably the time in my life when mental became mental health became the realest and, and and at it was a point in my life when it was most a in your face moment
0: mm, like like you and your mental health. We're, like, confronting each other in a rough kind of way.
1: Yes, because I was not surviving graduate school very well, mentally. It was stressful. Yes, it is very stressful. Yeah. And as many people say, Mm -hmm. as many people assume, this is not the truth for every individual. But for many people, it is valid to say that graduate school is multiple times harder than undergraduate. Mm Mm-hmm. That was my experience. That was the experience of many people that I went to school with that shared that same opinion. And it was something that, as I mentioned, really broke me down. And I spent a lot of time in graduate school struggling to get through my readings. I spent a lot of time crying because the stress was so bad. The sleep deprivation was so real worse than undergrad. And the, that
0: that does things to your mental state on its own. Yes. No matter what you have going on baseline, if you deprive your body of sleep, we know this. I mean, folks should know this. Mm-hmm. You're you're going to suffer.
1: My weight and and my my body image issues, all of that kind of stuff was going up and down for many years. And it wasn't until the recent years that I really got myself on a body body positivity type of mindset. And so I had a lot of different issues going on, and fast forward to today, one thing that I've learned about myself, that i learned within the past year, is that uh, I'm actually someone who struggles with bipolar 2 disorder, Mm -hmm. and so I've, in my late 20s, finally received a diagnosis to help me understand what the hell was going on with me all these years, and... You know, finally being able to understand, like, okay, here's what I need to do to take care of myself. Here are the different types of doctors I can see. Here's the type of therapy that I need to pursue. Here's the type of medication that I should be taking to sustain myself and to live a healthy, balanced lifestyle. And I share this today because I grew up in that isolation as biracial, as gay, as bipolar, as all these different things mixed mm. into one. Mm. And in my family, we didn't talk about things. We weren't any of those close families that you would see on TV or in movies or you know, none of that Disney show stuff. <laughs> I think
0: you only see them in TV or movies, though. That's the funny thing. But
1: here's the thing. Disney, for example, uh-huh. had me so convinced growing up that, oh, yeah. that families were supposed to talk to each other and share secrets and hug and and support each other through your secrets and all your your skeletons and all your challenges Mm. and we we weren't talking about that stuff in my family and so a lot of these concerns that i've been talking about throughout this podcast were things that i was burying deep inside me for many many years and they finally just blew up and bursted out while i was in graduate school wow
0: that sounds like a very pivotal moment in your life Mm -hmm. that sounds like
1: And I I share today because I want people to understand that no matter what they're going through mentally and emotionally, they have got to take care of their mental health. They have got to find a way each day to practice some form of self-care, self-love, something that's going to help them stay afloat because life is simply not easy. So graduate school, that was UVM, Right. No, so graduate school was still at Illinois State, and I guess I should provide a little bit of context for people who are really listening actively and really, really digging into my story, (laughs) because I hope there's at least one person.
0: (laughs) Please continue.
1: So I graduated from graduate school, and I was in a bad place mentally and emotionally emotionally and I wasn't ready to start working full-time, but I still jumped into a job right after graduate school, and the experience didn't go very well. The environment was not a fit, and I, being so overwhelmed with my mental health, I decided to just take a job offer rather than to really get the job that I wanted to have. So I found myself in a very unhappy situation, and my mental health was already fucked up, so I began to hit rock bottom, and I, and this was before I received my diagnosis, I still didn't have the appropriate ways of taking care of myself at that moment. Um, I chose to leave that position after about six or seven months and to move back home with my family. Oh. Mm-hmm. So I moved back to Peoria, and I spent about a year and a half in Peoria, and I jumped from one unsustainable job to another because the economy in Peoria is in such a bad place in throughout the state of Illinois it is just bad for example minimum wage is at 825 and that's not livable exactly 825 depending on public assistance programs is still not getting people by in a comfortable okay lifestyle comfortable (laughs) there, there no. <laughs> you don't have
0: money for the necessities.
1: Exactly. There's people who don't even have toilet paper to wipe themselves and no food to eat or to feed their children or no medications or money to afford seeing a doctor when something goes wrong. It's just a terrible place to be right now.
0: And this is like a broken record. I feel like everybody knows this and we keep saying it and it doesn't mm-hmm. change. Um, but... I feel like there's some really amazing grassroots political movements happening in this country right now, but we can get back to that later. You moved
1: back to Peoria. I moved back to Peoria. I did different jobs. Like, I worked at a gym. I taught Zumba. I used to do musical theater. I did a couple shows. I worked at a video store. I worked as a choreographer for Quintanera. You did? I, I did a lot of different things in that year and a half. Okay. Because I had to hustle.
0: I'm sorry, that sounded fun. I don't know that to me that it sounded fun. Like, Oh, it was fun. You did? It okay. was fun. Good.
1: Ch- choreographing for a quinceañera was a very unique experience. I worked with the girl turning 15 and her... Well, her entire, <laughs> yes, that's what her, it means, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, her, her entire family and we... Had to make this decision to kick out one of the um, boys who wasn't very committed. Whoa! And you was didn't, kind you of bringing did, us, down. us
0: The tea you didn't so, have to give us all this tea. So
1: I wasn't just a choreographer. They recruited me as one of the dancers
0: because you showed the initiative to fire a, a dancer who wasn't that. No, good. not <laughs> necessarily. It wasn't a
1: singular decision. It was the, the. So my my best friend and I we made the decision to do this project together and the parents came to us one of the days and was like yo this kid is not being serious he's not showing up for practice he's not dedicating to this he's not dedicated to this the way we need him to be so we're going to have to pull him out of the experience or replace him and they were like well if we pull him out we have to change the choreography and we have to redo everything and so they looked at me and they're like can you just dance in his position and I was like, okay, I'll be the person in his place. No problem. So that was a very fun experience. Um, so I hopped around from a lot of different opportunities to other opportunities. And eventually I found myself in an experience called unemployment. I gained a new respect for people who are unemployed and underemployed because when I started High school, uh, my junior year, I got a job and I was always employed mm-hmm. from being 16 all the way to 26, 27, somewhere around there.
0: And then you found yourself without
1: a job. Yep.
0: And it wasn't a pleasant experience, it sounds like.
1: No, it. I thought graduate school broke me down enough. Unemployment broke me down even further. Sorry to hear that. It it's it sucks because I spent a lot of time with really great credit Money saved up I was doing all the good things I was supposed to do And I realized that credit and money aren't necessarily going to save a person from unemployment Because money is a finite number It doesn't last forever
0: yeah, those... Um,
1: you can save money, but it's going to run out eventually. Those
0: foundations can be so thin, you know what I mean? And then when they fall apart, they like really fall apart. Mm-hmm. You know?
1: So it felt like a lot of areas of my life was falling apart. And I took some time away from applying from jobs in my degree field. And then eventually... I decided, you know what? I'm going to work through this trauma that I've been experiencing through all these different experiences in my life in the past couple years, and I'm going to, what do they say, pull myself up by the bootstraps? Oh, no,
0: that's a terrible saying. That's a terrible saying. I just always associate that with what, like, white people and certain people of color um, expect people of color at large to do about the situation, like, in America, in the world, in which they're oppressed, that if we can just, you know, get a little bit more determination and have the right mindset that we could, like, change all this. I mean, Kanye basically just said the same thing. No, we don't even have to, we don't have to go down that road, but because we're talking about you and, you know what, I understand that that's not, you didn't. That's not the context in which you mean that you personally picked yourself up by your own bootstraps. This is Eric
1: talking about Eric, right? I'm sorry. <laughs> I, literally, <laughs> sorry to interrupt. I literally had to get my shit together. Right. I right. had to get all my stuff together in life. And I don't think a lot of people really go through something like that when they feel like they hit rock bottom. Because, you know, some people have so much privilege in their lives that they always have jobs or a safety care net right? or education. Yeah. They always have some form of safety nets and the only safety net I really had was living at home, not being charged rent. Well, that is something. And that's really great that your
0: um, folks were in a position to provide that for yeah. you that, you know, I'm not trying to tell you that it could have been worse, but that is fortunate that mm-hmm. you were in a position that, um, you weren't completely destitute; that you had someone to fall back on. Family is important. <laughs> that's, yes, that's all yes. I
1: can say. Family saved my life at that period of of my life, and eventually, I started searching for jobs in my degree field, higher ed administration, and I found my job at UVM. So, fast forward to this past year. Uh huh. I, I just moved here, August two thousand seventeen. Mm-hmm. I've been here for about eight nine months. And I've had a really challenging experience just getting back into the habit of being a working class adult, Mm. working full time, Mm -hmm. managing all these different roles in life, all these different responsibilities, because they're in unemployment. One thing you get a lot of is time time to sit on the couch time to think time to get up and go sit on the other couch
0: whether you like it or not you have you know lots like of time on your hands yeah way
1: too much time yeah and yeah. yeah i um i got my job here in burlington i moved here and ever since i moved here I've noticed that being brown and gay is rare. And when I think about being brown and gay, one of the first things that come into my mind is how I sit at home and I hang out with my dogs and I don't go out very much because I don't have the outlets here mm. that I did back in my hometown or that I would in a major city like Chicago. Mm. So here In Burlington I've been involved with the Pride Center
0: Mm
1: -hmm. Because once I got here Shout out Pride Center Shout out Pride Center (laughs) Once I got here I was looking for LGBT community things to be involved with So I started searching online And I found the Pride Center And I called and I talked to Taylor And Taylor connected me with Mike I came to Glam, I met Travis, and I just started to meet a lot of different people that I've started to develop friendships with. Well, that's amazing. I think that's... Yourself included. Oh, gosh.
0: Who, me? I was going to say, I I do not work for the Pride Center, just a public... Ser- that's not a public service announcement. What is that? That's a... <laughs> Full, disclosure. Full disclosure. Full disclosure. I do not work for the Pride Center, but I think...
1: The well, story that I've met through the group,
0: yeah. But the story that you just told, I think, is a really good example of their mission at its truest. You know what I mean? To like bring folks in and make folks feel like a part of a community.
1: Yes, and it's it's great to be here and to have all this support for my identity within the LGBT community. But there are times when I look around the room and I don't really see many other people of color. I just see white LGBT people. Yeah, I mean and because this is Vermont, Vermont and those are the demographics
0: and we know that and we can say duh, but how does it like feel though? It sounds like it feels a little bit isolating sometimes.
1: It does, because I would like to hang out with people who understand LGBT issues and, you know, different issues that a person of color would experience. And it's just hard to look around a room and to see no one that looks like me. And we're supposed to have the same struggle of being gay or lesbian or bi or trans or whatever in the alphabet soup umbrella. Alphabet soup umbrella, is that the That's what I call it? professional I mean, term? <laughs> there's all these different letters that you see changed around, so it's an alphabet soup, and ideally we're one big-ass umbrella family of lots of identities that get lumped together. So we're talking about
0: knowing that we share a minority status in one way with these folks, and maybe relating on that level, but also knowing that, like, um, on another level, we, we're we just, we're not able to relate. And it's... Yeah, it's so
1: real, dude.
0: It's real. And it's, um, you know, not the greatest, probably. It's not the best feeling in the world to want to feel more of a connection and just feeling like you can't. Is that
1: accurate to your experience? I would have to say somewhat yes. Okay. Sometimes I want to just come to a space where I feel like I can just take off that human mask called the skin and just, you know, be my skeleton. Just be myself. Just be your skeleton. Damn, is it Halloween? I'm just kidding. I'm sorry.
0: No, that (laughs) wasn't. That was absurd. You work with the BSU, right? Yes,
1: I'm the advisor for the Black Student Union. And so what a cool job. Black Student Union is a very active group. They advocate for a lot of different types of people, not just black people, and they are quick to be involved in the action that takes place on campus mm-hmm. whenever there's a call to action. right. And it's really great to be involved with a group that, is so willing to put themselves on the line just to make life better for future students and to make education at UVM better for future students. I'm so inspired by those students and the work that they do and the sacrifices that they make to bring about change on campus. It's it's a really special opportunity to serve as their advisor. Shout out BSU. Shout out BSU. Every
0: time you come over to my place, we have to listen to a certain amount of Beyonce or else you don't feel right, basically. Pretty much.
1: Yeah. I could say that's valid. Yeah.
0: Um, What do you love about Beyonce?
1: One thing that I love about Beyonce is that she is a very, very hard worker. And she has a lot of different career lessons that she could teach anybody. So thinking about, for example, how she's a great collaborator. She can work with a lot of different people, and she can also work independently. She can be what some people have referred to as somewhat of a dictator. She can really manage things on her own and do things the way she wants them done. Um, But at the same time, she has this ability to be able to adapt to working with different people, different styles, different teams... Uh, And she's successful. She makes really good music. She makes really good hits. She makes a lot of money off of all of it. She is the soundtrack to
0: our childhoods. Mm -hmm. We're, I think, in a very, I think, highly favored and special generation where, I don't know, like, I still feel like I could be Drake. He's my age. You know what I mean? I don't know. Um. Yeah, and same goes for Rihanna and Beyoncé, you know, Nicki. These are our icons, folks, like it or not.
1: Yep, our pop divas.
0: But, um, yes, we, I mean, do not deserve Beyoncé. And yet, it's a magical time to be alive. Mm-hmm. We have her and Agreed. she's not going anywhere. Nope, nowhere. Um, Okay. So, because it's this type of show, and this is just what we do, I have to know how my guest feels about certain things. We maybe have already gone over them, and that's okay if your answer's the same, or if it's just like, I already said that, I already went over it, next. But the question is, what does black and brown queer culture in Vermont look like to you, Eric?
1: I heard this question on other podcast episodes (laughs) and every time I hear this question including right now the first thing that comes to mind is you know you black and brown in Vermont when you realize that you're sitting your ass at home with nowhere to go nothing to do bored because it's like being the only one you know I think being black and brown in Vermont is so unusual that it's hard to find someone else that f- fits those intersections and it's hard to find someone who can make community. Um, being being like minded and having lived a lot of the same similar intersectional experiences.
0: You think it's and
1: I think I think there's support from the Pride Center in and, and cutie events that go on Every so often. And we're alive. We're present. We're somewhere. But we're just not at the forefront of being visible. And I wish we were more visible. Because I know some of us exist. But if I try to count us all on my hands right now, like I can barely... I can't even make it to five right now. I'm trying to think of how many people... And it's like, I'm probably going to have to name all the people from your podcast season one because it's like, who else is there? You know, it's just so we don't get highlighted like everyone else. So I'm I'm definitely grateful for this podcast because you have done something for the community that has been missing. And now we have you. And I have you, too.
0: (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> um. Okay That being said When do you most Or when was the last time that you felt Browning out
1: As soon as I got here <laughs> As soon as you got to the Pride Center today uh, I mean as soon as I got to Vermont oh. I've, I've been browning out And feeling it since I got ah. here So I arrived to. I flew from Chicago to Albany. Okay. And I arrived with one suitcase and two dogs and nothing else but the clothes on my back.
0: I mean, that's
1: and quite a bit in and of itself. We drove here from Albany for about three hours. Uh huh. And I got here, and I looked around and I said, "Okay, where are the black people?" <laughs> where are, then I said, "Okay, where are the people of color?" I don't care where where the hell their their background is you know, what their ethnicity is. I don't care what type of shade of brown they are, but where the hell are the brown people? Uh, And um, could you restate your question just to make sure I stay (laughs) on topic? (laughs) When do you most or when did you last feel brown and out? Oh, as soon as I got here. So I I was saying I got here and – I was looking around and I didn't see anybody, but at the same time, I didn't let that stop me from being me. I've shared in my story how I've grown up as black and white and gay and bipolar and dealing with all this shit that I've been talking about, but I'm on a journey called life and I'm not, I'm not sitting around running from life anymore, you know, I'm not, I'm not sitting around depressed in my mental health anymore. I'm proud of who I am. I'm proud to live the life that I live. I'm proud to be brown. I'm proud to be out. I'm proud to be me. Hello! Okay.
0: Well, I am officially out of questions for you. Um, I officially feel like I know a lot more about you. Um, This was good. This was really cool. Thank you. Uh, Thank you very much for being on Brown and Out today. Anything else you want to say?
1: The last thing that I would like to say for listeners, if there's anything that you take from this message today, I would like you to understand that you are are also on this journey called life and you had better not give up and you had better practice self-care and self-love and just really 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 remember that each day you've got to take care of yourself so yeah don't give up all right everybody don't give up as beyonce would say i'm gonna keep running because the winner don't quit on themselves